0: Coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast.
1: Because I did that groundwork, because I know whenever you follow your gut, whenever you follow your calling, things will work out.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast, the podcast where you'll meet some of the most fascinating and incredible people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures and journeys. So, sit back and i hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Today it is an absolute great pleasure to be bringing you Yamini Kaluri who is a performer, a choreographer and a teacher of the traditional art form of Kuchipudi dance and Oh God, what am I missing? (laughs) You know what? I feel like there's so much to you and I just kind of get lost in the ocean of what is you. But one of the things about you, Yamini, that I came to really respect and understand through my time getting to know you was that you're someone who has been dedicated and devoted and obsessed with the art form of dance that you do for as as far back as maybe you can even remember. And that's one of the reasons why I was really looking forward to chatting with you is because you've chosen a life and you've stuck to it. And I think there's so much beauty and merit in making strong decisions and and all of that so welcome to the podcast great to have you here it's great to be here with you
1: thank you for having me on your podcast I love podcasts. I myself listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm cooking, working, commuting. And, you know, the funny thing is when I was really little, when I was, okay, this is maybe TMI, but I don't care. But when I was on my potty breaks, like when I was like a child, (laughs) (laughs) I would literally practice being on podcasts and interviews. Get out of here. Really? And my brother would sit outside and he's like, okay, that's enough. And I would get embarrassed and I would finish my business in the bathroom and come back out. But I would literally practice.
0: Wait, where are you now? Where, which room are you in?
1: And No, don't worry, it's not a bathroom.
0: <laughs> I don't know, the, it's not, the camera's on a funny not angle not. right now, I can't see what else is going on.
1: Oh, yeah, I didn't even see, the, this is my friend's apartment, as I said, I today I had a catastrophic day, so I'm at my friend's place in Hell's Kitchen.
0: Okay, but you're not in the party. Your- no, no, I'm
1: like in a living room, dining area situation.
0: <laughs> okay, we're good. Very good. Okay. Wow. Well, look, I mean, I'm not sure how many podcasts you've done, but I wanted to give a, a special shout out to Carissa Talba, who you did a podcast with recently, and you shared that on your social media recently. Uh, I had never heard of Carissa before. Um, I absolutely love what she's doing. I absolutely loved the conversation that you and Carissa had together. Um, she's so intelligent and articulate, and you are just so forthcoming with your what you give you give so much. That's one of the things that really struck me about you is even at a young age, I think you're 25, right? You are 25, right? Yeah. Even at a young age, the confidence to share some of the deepest, darkest sides of yourself and your history, but also on the flip side of that, the acknowledgement of some of the really synchronous sort of syn- serendipitous maybe and wonderful moments of your life as well. And some of the the acknowledgements that you make to the positive things that have crossed your path as well. I think it's very rare to find in someone. So I just wanted to give yourself a shout out firstly, and also Carissa for having that conversation. And I'm very, very grateful to have you here joining me. It's going to be a really interesting episode because I've started speaking to more and more artists, but I never really know where we're going to go with these conversations. And we've started with a bang. We've started with the, the you've manifested being on podcasts for a very long time and we didn't know that. So <laughs> I'm so glad to be part of that journey with you. But if you want to just introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, just give us a sort of the elevator pitch of, you know, who you are, your background and what you do.
1: Uh, who am I is a very difficult question for me at the moment because I mean, for me, it was always easy to answer this question in terms of just saying I'm a dancer, I'm a choreographer, I'm an Indian American woman. But like after I started my meditation classes, even now, the immediate answer for who are you is I'm a dancer, I'm a choreographer, I'm a performer, I'm a dance teacher. But that is just my career, But I think there's more to life than just your career. And recently, I've been realizing that about myself. Though my career is my purpose, my purpose is just not me. Because again, with my Buddhism meditation classes, I'm a complex existence of my ancestors, the food I eat, the sunlight I take in, the air I breathe the cultures and trends I'm exposed to, the information I'm exposed to. It's a lot of different elements which make me. Mm. So so sometimes, and also I actually contemplate on, on this question, who am I? And the immediate answer would be at this moment is I'm not my body and mind. There is no I. Right. But obviously, to be more relatable in social circumstances, obviously, I wouldn't answer that. But I just wanted to be honest saying whenever that question is asked of me, that is the first thing which goes in my head. I'm not my body and mind. There is no I but on a materialistic level and in systemic level, I'm a dancer, performer, choreographer, and dance teacher. And I'm Indian American. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I grew up in India. And I trained in a dance style, as you've said, called Kuchipudi, which is an Indian classical dance style, which hails from Southeast India. Actually, Kuchipudi comes from a little village, called Kuchipuri. So that is why it's called Kuchipuri. But later, I also went on to do ballet, modern and contemporary dance styles. So part of my work also is like, um, I hate the word fusion, because I think fusion has a lot of like copy paste and cut pasting different things and usually has a lot of cultural appropriation stuff in it. I like to call it integration, because I'm not making this style for a result or to be the trend or I'm not making this style to be accepted by people. I'm just, this style is a result of my life and my practice. So in my day, half of my day, I am training in ballet and contemporary classes. And then half of my day, I'm spending time teaching and practicing Indian classical dance. So because I'm investing this amount of time in both of these worlds, as a result of that, this style is being born. It's not a forced creation of, okay, let me fuse these together because I have them and it's cool to watch. That was never the intent. It was just that when I started doing ballet because of how many hours I was training in ballet, all of that training was being transferred into my Kuchpuri, And I was like, wow, I actually like this. And I would describe it in this way, right? Like how there's an Indian accent when I speak English, I'm not forcing, oh, because I have an Indian identity, let me add on this Indian accent, right? It is an It's an organic result of where I grew up and what languages I've spoken. Mm -hmm. So when I speak English, I'm not thinking about speaking in a particular way. It's a result of my background and the languages I've spoken. That is why my English sounds this way. It is not forced. So my dance is also like the languages I speak. And in this instance, English, I would say. So, this is what I do, and I have a dance school and a company, and I live in New York now. I don't know how long I'll be here, but I'm surviving here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, that's who I am.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Uh, and thank you for that. I can tell right now, in this moment, in your material world life, That there's an interesting intersection that you're experiencing where you're realizing that you are more than your body and your mind. And I think, what could I say? It's kind of like you're having a duel with your ego at the moment. It's like you've become conscious that it exists in your life and that you're trying consciously, I suppose, to disassociate from it. Am I on the right track here?
1: Yeah. um, I don't think I'm still dissociating or if there will be a dissociation, I don't know what that's going to be like. Maybe an awareness. Yeah. But I I think I do notice I have a very big, big, fat ego. (laughs) and. I think by practicing this mantra of I'm not my body and mind and there's no I, at least it reminds me that a lot of the time I'm in my ego autopilot mode Mm. and I want to stop being that way. And I've also noticed the more I am feeling that expansive energy and not operating from my ego, my art also thrives better. Mm. But again, if I do it for the reason of because my art will look good, let me not do it from my ego is the ego process. So working for results is always an egoistic process. Mm -hmm. But actually enjoying the journey and feeling the oneness with all the elements around you is the non-ego consciousness Mm -hmm. or the oneness consciousness or the liberated consciousness to put in Buddhism. But I'm very, very beginner and also because... I've been a dancer all my life and it was all about being on stage and performing Mm -hmm. for people and even teaching workshops and teaching itself is a performance. You're trained to have that fragile or like big fat ego as a performer and to be super charming and all of that. But I think I'm not in that space anymore and also after seeing and reading and watching movies about all these great artists who had such sad lonely deaths where people were fighting for their property instead of mourning for them. I'm like I don't want to be like one of those sad lonely alcoholics or People thinking, thank God, she was a great artist, but she was nuts. You know, she tortured us. I I don't want to be that person because I personally know who are very close to me, who passed away recently, and a lot of them were relieved. And no one actually mourned that person. And that was a wake-up call for me to stop acting selfishly and because of covid that person passed away and that's what i'm saying like you don't know when you're gonna go away and why would you destroy the beauty of life with your ego and yeah
0: yeah enjoying the episode so far be sure to follow us and leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode yeah, I love that. And it, like I said, it still feels like it's a process that you're in at the moment that's really important to you that is very much shaping not only who you are as a person, which is first and foremost, but also I guess like you said, it's bleeding into your performance and you've found that it's having a positive impact on your performance. And I think that's such an interesting place to be because I was, you know, all the research that I've done, it's about your past, it's about your history. Uh, it's about you talking about the journey from the macro perspective, and then those little micro moments in it as well. And now we're here, and I can sense the currentness of this journey that you're going on, which I really want to pay homage to a little bit in this conversation. But also being mindful that you know, yes, you you've got a really interesting story, and I'm not sure if you if you're familiar with that. I touch on this a lot on my podcast, by the way. It just kind of happens. Um, The third culture kid notion of, uh, you know, born somewhere, grew up somewhere else. And I think Mm -hmm. that in itself is a really interesting process because you end up becoming, I would say, as a third culture kid, not necessarily being tied to a particular culture in the fullest degree. You know, there was a, when you went to India as a child, I'm sure there was, and you were, must have been small at the time, but there was an American side to you. You weren't necessarily one of the local kids. And then when you came back to the United States at the age of, I think, 18 or 19, you weren't fully considered American because you had so much Indian side to you. And I think there's a part of that that makes it difficult for us to relate to other people, right? Because we have this unique, a mixture of experience in our life, but also it turns us into these, potentially can turn you into a real critical thinker. Look, what are the parts of this culture that I want to bring over to this culture? And what are the parts of this culture that I want to bring to the other culture or that I like about the other culture that are forming my character? And I think because you started in the West and then went to the East and weren't necessarily so hard tied to the east from the get-go in your life i think that in itself liberated you very early on to start thinking differently around the things that you see so you talked about abuse and things like that and you talked about how those certain people are celebrated like certain imperfect people are celebrated even though they they're kind of abusive and i thought that's only a perspective that you can see if you're looking from outside of the bubble in And I love how you touched on those things because I think in the world, in the post-pandemic world where I'm, and I'm certainly trying to use this podcast to sort of build bridges that I think were burnt down between people for whatever reason, I think it's really important to be able to recognize the whys behind things and want to find common ground. That was a statement. That wasn't even a question. But. Well, but, it yeah. was food, but it was food for thought for you because I know that you're in this place where you're thinking a lot about things.
1: Yeah, Um. I think first of all, though there are moments I feel completely lonely with um, all the ideas and the identity and my story, there are moments, but thankfully I'm too busy to think about the misery in my life at the moment but there are times when it hits me like especially when i'm on my period things just like hit me in the face and i start crying about oh i'm lonely and i feel like i'm the only person like working this hard to bring in this mission in this innovative way no one sees the potential in it all of that you know i like become a whiny baby but to be very honest, though, there's a huge part of my life or my time I do spend understanding and appreciating how blessed I am to have such a unique mission I can put my finger on. And it is not vague. And I feel like this kind of unique mission, Mission and identity is only a sign of certain kind of greatness or great mission you're onto. Because if I'm like every other person, then it's almost like, what is the point? right like what is my role in the society and like it becomes almost like a chore and it's it doesn't have that spark anymore but i feel that this kind of loneliness is my responsibility to transcend it into solitude and make good of it and continue on this journey of greatness and generosity mm. And also, I feel like this loneliness or, I mean, when you're unique, you're lonely. And that's usually considered weird until you actually die. Because in the times you live in, people can't comprehend what actually you're doing. And you're seen as this weird person. Mm. But the reality is, you must know that there's so much potential in what you do and what you are. And I think... By surrounding myself with the right people always is a great reminder for myself that I'm on this beautiful mission for my beautiful community. And as much as it is lonely in terms of having peers to talk to about, there are a lot of people who are cheering for me and they're supporting me. Yes, I wish there were more like-minded people or peers or artists I I could talk about without being judged and kind of brushed away uh, seeing me like as a fusion artist or a crazy artist but again you must know that this is again a reminder that what you're doing is something special and don't let other people disapproving you or not validating you As a reason to paralyze yourself in your confusion. Mm. But for me, identity has never been that confusing because, yeah, I have an American passport, but I grew up in India. So I'm Indian, but in some ways in India, yes, I did feel like I didn't fit in because my family is a very well-traveled and a very cultural and globally exposed Family Like my grandparents traveled a lot. And in fact, my mother was born in the United States as well. So I grew up reading a lot of literature from across the world. And my house also is full of artifacts and stuff, collections, artwork from across the world. And I listen to music across the world. And my mom also would travel a lot for her conferences and would bring me clothing from Japan, the the traditional clothing, and I would wear them. So yeah, though I grew up in India because I had all of this knowledge and exposure to cultures from across the world, then also my tastes and preferences have evolved in such a global way. When I was making friends, it was really hard because I was like, oh, I'm reading this book from, let's say, of Byron. And my friends would be like, who's that? Or I would read Pushkin or something like that. And people wouldn't understand where I'm coming from. But at the same time, I was also reading a lot of Indian literature. I read this Telugu book or I watched this old Telugu black and white classic and they couldn't even relate to that because I think from my generation onwards, people are neither fully grounded in their own culture or do they actually know the cultures properly across the world. Like for example, people listen to American pop music from everywhere. So a lot of my classmates, would think they knew american culture by just listening to pop music and it's like those anime people right people watch anime and they think they know japanese culture but there's so much history to japanese culture um their poetry their architecture the buddhist temples their practices and their philosophies i think people get hung up or like k-pop or whatever but Again, in Korea, in Japan, there are traditional dance styles like kabuki and all of these styles. And people don't know about those things. People just go for the anime stuff. Or people think of India as Bollywood. So people just know the popular cultures of all these countries versus the actual history and traditions which come from all these countries. So when I would talk to my friends about all these books and movies I would watch from all these different cultures, they couldn't relate. So, in that way, I would feel lonely about in terms of how much I was exposed to all these cultures and how grounded also I was in my cultures. Like when I spoke Telugu, I always spoke so well, like I would hardly use any English words in my Telugu. Also in India, people would kind of look down upon people who spoke their own language so well. It's like the post-colonial trend, which is still being continued, Mm. basically... People see people who speak English as sophisticated and people who spoke their own native tongues are still looked down upon. So if I go back to India and I say I live in the United States and I speak fluent Telugu, people are like, why do you speak like a grandma, they say. Didn't you grow up speaking English? Yes, I'm very eloquent when I speak English. But when I speak my mother tongue, I speak with the same enthusiasm and love and depth. And I think this is very rare that in India, people speaking their own native tongue very well, at the same time also speaking English very well. Because the people I knew who spoke English very well couldn't speak their own native tongue. Or people who speak their native tongue very well are seen as a rural people of India and they couldn't speak english that well because of lack of education and literacy opportunities for them so um yeah it's interesting and then when i moved to the united states i was seen more indian but the thing is for me my indianness is a selling point in my branding and my business right the more i'm grounded within my culture the more unique i am the more solid my ideas are. And for me, it works to have an accent to look a certain way. But this is not the story for everyone, right? This is for me. And I'm not talking for all Indians. But this is very important for my school branding. You don't want some random white person from the Midwest teaching what I'm teaching. You want an authentic Indian who lived and breathed and grew up in India, learning this dance style to be teaching, mm-hmm. because this dance has a lot of cultural and traditional context also. And you, you, yeah, obviously they would prefer a person who's lived there and breathed this tradition to be teaching this. So I, it definitely works in my interest. Unless if I were teaching ballet, that's a whole other thing. Then maybe I would have experienced more racism or something like that. But I don't want anybody to say I am a victim of something without me actually bringing that story. Because... Who are you to put me in a box that I am a victim of this certain, not just racism of anything without me actually sharing the story. It's like stereotyping almost like you don't have to sympathize for me if I didn't share any victim stories. And I think by doing that, in fact, by really not going through any victimization and if i did that i feel like people who actually are going through racism or misogyny or whatever I am stealing their spotlight by bringing too much exaggeration to my own story. Because there are real people who are being killed for their stuff, who are being bullied, who are going through real stuff or being fired, right? They're losing their jobs because of their ethnicity. And here I can sit in a privileged space where I have my own school and company and thriving I am also a victim of racism and all that i don 't think it's fair. I want them to speak so I can support them that 's my philosophy anyway,
0: yeah, yeah, and I think when it comes to my take on you know that whole third culture kid part and you growing up in the different spaces, not so much to talk about the negative aspect of it, but more you know the positive light of it that you get to see things yeah. from outside of the bubbles and I think you do that really well. You referred to your mission there a little bit and I guess if people haven't picked up on the mission already, the mission is to spread the art form of Kuchipudi and I guess the adjacent art forms or, or the things that support Kuchipudi as, as well as an art form. I think one of the things I love about you is that you talk about how Kuchipudi is a style of dance, but also it can be supported by certain types of yoga and it can be it's supported by singing and acting and the arts as well it's a blend trying to steer away from the word fusion intentionally uh it's a blend of many different art forms and yeah i love that you share that, that you focus on that somewhat because i think sometimes especially in the west we get so hooked on telling our stories in isolation or sharing our art forms in isolation without paying homage to the supporting elements and supporting factors that have obviously come into play. You do that with your art form. You do that within your life. You talk about your teachers, even the ones that obviously you had fallings out with. And yeah, like I said earlier, I've become captivated with how advanced your understandings are and how easily you're able to talk about those things and not to put you on a pedestal, but I do want to take a little side note here. How's the podcast experience going for you so far? Is it what you imagined?
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I love podcasts because I think it's a great opportunity to kind of revise your thoughts and philosophies in these moments to check yourself, like a mind scan mm-hmm. and see how you think if my thought process is clear and also do I listen to the questions clearly or do I talk over you or the person who's interviewing me or do I listen to talk or do I listen to just listen all these kinds of things I just like I like to practice all of that also I'm a deep thinker mm-hmm. so I think podcasts forces me and puts me in a spot to recheck my values and principles I have in life. Do I believe in the same thing? A few months ago when I was in a relationship, the way I saw life was completely different from how I see my life now. So I think it's so interesting how things just change so quickly and I just love podcasts for that reason because I really need to reevaluate. About my opinions and how I see life, my perspectives. Do I actually practice what I say? I do like, I also like to listen to my podcast again in the future to just check do I actually practice this or is it all just talk, Mm -hmm. right? Or do I believe in this or is it all just talk to appease a certain crowd? You know, so I think in that way, I do love podcasts for that reason, because my art is not just to get attention or like a thirst trap kind of thing. Or I don't want it to be a vain, shallow practice. I want this pursuit to be telling stories, which touches people's hearts, you know, and first it has to touch my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm going to share it with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very important important i think with instagram and stuff a lot of things just become about looks and fashion and which beautiful space i am at and what makeup am i using and who's sponsoring me and less focus on the art and more on the gimmick and that's why I'm still shocked like yes I do notice my Instagram traffic and it's almost going to 100k and I'm just like how did I even get there because I don't really do any kind of sellout content meaning like I don't dance to a popular music i actually to be honest yeah here my ego is coming but i hate that and i i I think i'm gonna regret saying this but i really despise the trendy kind of person i i just i am the kind of person who likes to do what i believe in has to be deep with respect to my culture Mm. and there's always a mission it's mm-hmm. not about how cute does Yamini look in this post. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about I made this beautiful dance and this is the music I love and here you go. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I think you touched on it a little bit in your conversation with Carissa around. Uh, trends versus tradition, I'll put it that way. Yeah. And how you talked about tradition as having integrity, and I loved that you positioned it that way. And also, you know, authenticity, it obviously speaks to you, but it's obviously speaking to other people as well. You're right. You're saying that you're shocked that you're getting a lot of growth and traction through being your authentic self. But then to me, it's kind of saying, well, p- people are seeking that. You know, if you see a thousand TikTok trend videos, which I despise myself too. So let's both be haters together on this one. And then you see one person that's putting their heart and soul into something that they're really passionate about. It transcends the screen. It does. You can feel it. You do. And there's something yeah. attractive about that. Maybe you can't articulate it in that moment. Maybe you just don't have the words. It's just a feeling that you get inside when you're watching someone that's really nailing their art form. And you can see that they're doing it with their whole being in that moment. And you just draw yeah, to I, it. That was... I'm
1: so sorry I cut you No, off. no,
0: no, no, no. I, I take long pauses from time to time. <laughs> That's my thing.
1: No, I hate that. I take long pauses too, but you're very patient. I'm so sorry. I hate cutting
0: people. Absolutely not. I Um, love we're having a conversation and there's no reason to be sorry.
1: Yeah, um Seth Godin actually in his book the practice he talks about how very few people have the luck of doing what they love and also seeing material success could be visibility or financial success right that is why I'm shocked so is it like am I part of that small percentage because all the work I've created until now and I post I enjoy doing from my soul and my heart I didn't do these performances or these videos to go viral it was just a performance I was commissioned to do and I was commissioned to do that because when I first moved to New York my first desire was to dance to western classical music because I grew up listening to western classical music and especially doing ballet classes with live pianists accompanying us it was just like I was in that vibe you know and I am in the west I must collaborate with these musicians and there's Juilliard and all these schools and the, some of the best classical musicians are here. And I had that desire and first just started off collaborating with this friend I made in a workshop I was teaching. His name is Dwayne, and he's a ballroom dancer and a viola player and a violinist and instantly, actually, to be very honest, this idea started off not with this man. Actually, this guy, Dwayne, uh, later rescued this mission, but it started off with this Tinder match.
0: Right. So, okay. <laughs> now we're getting. So, I've been waiting for this.
1: Yeah. So, I. <laughs> Oh God, I'm not on any of these apps anymore, so please don't judge me. I despise those apps. No judgment. But So I matched with this cello player on Tinder and, you know, I wasn't really into him, but I was really inspired by him though because he's a cello player and my first instinct was I want to collaborate with you and be friends with you and make art I don't think I want to date you and I asked him is that okay and only if that's okay we can continue this I don't want to you know pain you because I think not I think he had feelings for me and yeah, hard, right, yeah it's complicated mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> So we started our collaboration, and I booked a whole summer with these performances, like a tour with this cello player in New York. Pennsylvania all these different places in the northeast of US and suddenly this guy ghosts me right he doesn't reply to my messages or calls back he just disappears and I'm freaking out now I have all these shows booked with this guy we are supposed to tour together and he just ghosted me and I'm freaking out and I keep reaching out to all these cello and violin players to like please I need someone to play with me so the project was basically fusing Indian classical music and western classical music and kind of showing similarities between each of these so I kind of gave up I got a bit disappointed and kind of numb and sad but I went on to teach this workshop and I See this guy walk into my class. He's so magnetic, energetic, so happy and positive. And by the way, in not in a romantic way, I was so captivated. Also, he's gay. Don't worry about that. And I was very captivated by his. Presence. So I felt like this immediate attraction for this man and I stalk him on Instagram like who is this beautiful being right and I go on Instagram and I find Dwayne who came to my workshop and I discover that he's a viola player and a violinist and I immediately message him and I email him saying hey I already booked a lot of shows And this is the project, I need someone. And he immediately said yes, and he saved my life. And we became very, very close friends, and we toured together. So with that video, I kind of, see, I think a lot of artists wait for someone to pay them to do their favorite kind of work. But my impatience and restlessness is sometimes my best friend. My demon is sometimes my best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my restlessness and impatience, okay, all of these people made me feel like a black sheep, and okay, I'm not getting any opportunities because I'm this weird dancer who does Indian classical dance and ballet. So I'm very niche. Mm. So I'm not gonna attract every opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, but but because I'm restless and an I'm impatient, and I'm caffeinated, and I have all these brilliant ideas I want to show, so I don't wait for someone to pay me and commission me to do the work I love I just jump on it I see a beautiful piece of art or music and I'm like let's do this but I'm also not that kind of annoying artist who goes to every artist and fakely says can we collaborate nice to see you and they just keep saying that word when I ask it I mean it And I don't use that word with everybody. Right now, it's become a trend to just say, we should collaborate. And then they disappear, right? And I'm not that kind. When I want to collaborate, I make sure we actually do it. And it's on stage. So anyway, we toured. And because I did that groundwork, because I know whenever you follow your gut, whenever you follow your calling, things will work out. So because I did my part of, as Seth Gordon says, putting it out in the world, right? I put it out in the world and a lot of the curators saw my work and they were like, wow, we never saw something like this. And people started reaching out to me to collaborate with string quartets and other amazing composers and violinists. And it's been amazing. So I think when you have an idea, just put it out there don't judge it who's perfect anyway i think a lot of people wait until it's perfect and to be honest it's never perfect already i see the videos i post one week ago and i'm like oh that's ugly that's not me anymore Uh, i wish i could change that step i already want to update it it's never perfect don't wait until it's perfect. Don't wait until you get paid to do the job. If you love it, if it inspires you, if you feel that drive to do it, just do it. Don't judge yourself. And I think I'm very blessed to have those pair of balls (laughs) to just (laughs) put everything out there and I don't care because I think I was bullied and seen as a black sheep at a very young age and I'm like kind of used to it and I'm, I laugh at it now when someone says something weird about my art. So,
0: If you haven't already, find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube or TikTok where you can catch additional content and grace us with your thoughts. Thanks again and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah. We were talking a little bit off air about how you are when you're doing a podcast versus how you are in life. And I think with that little balls comment, we started to get a glimpse of the of the non-podcast, so thank you for that. Feel free to drop a few F-bombs or whatever you feel like as well. I think we've opened up a bit now. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's I love that story about Dwayne. It wasn't something that I was aware of before and like i said i was doing my research and i was listening to a lot about the gritty part of your background and developed a real appreciation for just the sheer amount of work that you've done the thousands of hours of work that you've done not only on yourself but in teaching others as well really impressive Mm. and then there's obviously the darker sides as well that you touched on and there was this one beautiful part in your conversation with Carissa where you talked about it wasn't an option for you to ever quit because you felt like it wasn't even you dancing, like there was some kind of divine will that was just passing through you. But then I kind of got back into that gritty part of your background and... Then I started to think, no, what are the serendipitous moments? What are those moments where the universal kind of magic appears before you and you can't think of anything other than, wow, like that is divine intervention? And literally within 30 seconds of me having that thought, you mentioned the vision board and I was like, wow, there it is. I'm having my own moment within the moment. But Dwayne is one of those moments for you. Dwayne is one of those moments where like, There's absolutely no way that you could have had that match on Tinder and then created that potential working relationship and it fell apart in typical Tinder style, by the way. There was no way that that was going to end other than being ghosted because it started on Tinder. And then then Dwayne just comes along, like literally the perfect match, but not only a match for the original match, quote, unquote, but an even better one yeah like wow
1: yeah because by that time i was tired of working with straight men because either so when i first moved to new york also i was just 19 so naively i would meet these men who would say let's collaborate or like i have a job opportunity for you thankfully i met them in cafes or else what else would have happened god knows but I was feeling very unsafe working with men at this point. Also, like as a child, I had my own sexually inappropriate moments with musicians and weird men on the street, you know, and my own family stuff going on. And I was kind of getting tired of the situation with men. And the fact that Dwayne being gay was perfect because I wasn't feeling unsafe. It's sad to say that. I know how this exactly sounds. But I always, even now when I work, thankfully, I'm stronger and I hold my ground. And I'm a little older now. But even men just candidly pass comments about my looks when I'm working with them or like say some inappropriate things it's it's just um sad but you know working with Dwayne was very safe and comfortable his sexuality did play a big role in that it's sad that it he had to be gay to make this environment safe I don't think it ideally it should be that way. Uh, but I did feel very safe with him and almost like a brother vibe. And I could express myself and be weird in my dance choreography, do any kind of monkey movements and be comfortable and laugh, and be myself. It was just beautiful. I think when you're creating art, you must be in a safe and sacred space and especially as dancers we are constantly objectified because we are so in our bodies and whatever movement we do like on these dating apps right when i was on them and i would stupidly put i am a dancer and the first thing they would say is can you do splits and can you do these positions during your you know Yeah, that's the first thing 90% of the men say on the apps, really. And I'm, am I exaggerating? No, I'm not exaggerating. I wish I was exaggerating. If I were not exaggerating, I would, I I would not be single by now, honestly speaking. But 90% of the men's That's the first thing they say. Can you do this position during that time? So you must be very bendy or saying you're a dancer is a mistake on these apps. But it's my passion, though. It's my mission. And I can't express my own mission and identity because of all this trash on the apps. But I don't want to sound like a man hater. I'm sure there are wonderful gems across this world who are not on these apps, but there was a lot of trash and that was the first thing. So anyway, what I wanted to say is because we are constantly objectified and then there are these creepy straight men who are working with you and curators also who take advantage of this uh, because they're like, oh, if you sleep with me, I can offer you this performance opportunity. And I remember this music collaborator, Dwayne and uh, I, I don't, okay, I don't know if I have to go in there. But, you know, this music collaborator, I'll just say the instance, I'm not going to go into the story. But the music collaborator literally got pissed off that I didn't sleep with him after the collaboration. He said, every girl sleeps with me, though. Why are you so uptight? Don't you find me attractive? You know, things like that. And I think some men might listen to this and say, but it's because you're attractive and you must take it as a compliment, but I'm here for work. This is my living. This is also, I do Indian classical dance. It's not whatever dance. It's a very spiritual, sacred dance. It's a different mindset and mind space you need to be for this kind of dance. I cannot think crudely like you and I cannot objectify you in this process. It's very important for people to know this. And I'm so happy I met Dwayne and I had that safe and loving collaboration. And yeah, I'm very skeptical of working with men. But recently I've been collaborating with the violinist Vijay Gupta. And he's exactly like my brother. And I I do all these weird jokes. I'm nonstop laughing. If I can be a monkey around that person, that's a sign that I am safe. If I'm very reserved and I'm unable to be crazy all over the place, then that means I feel very uncomfortable and you're viewing me very inappropriately. And I think even sometimes men, they don't have to say anything with the way they look at you, like check you out. That's enough to make a woman feel unsafe. And in fact, I was speaking about that with my friend, you know, Like, for example, in in my modern dance training, I need to wear unitards and leotards and always wearing them is a very empowering experience, right? Because it's like you are meeting yourself in this naked body to see all your imperfections and your beauty and to correct your posture and to upgrade that version of yourself. And I think we wear this, these specific attires, which are very fitting to your body to see your body in its most naked form to s- fix your lines and to correct your body placement and to meet your body almost in this naked form. And there's no hiding because in clothes, you a lot of your placement and your alignment and your lines can be hidden. So in ballet and modern, we wear these clothes to see our body in this sacred manner but I remember in this particular relationship I was I would come back to dance class in these clothes in my dance clothes and like it was always sex you know And as dancers, when we see naked bodies, our naked bodies or other people's naked bodies, sometimes in pieces, we got to be naked. You know, we always don't think about sex. And it sometimes that's, you know, how the military people call um, the general public civilians. As a dancer, I call all the non-dancers normies because they see a naked body and they only think about Sex, Ooh, you know, but when a dancer looks at a naked body, she sees, does this person have good posture? Right? How are their lines? How are their muscles defined? What what is the potential of this body, right? How beautifully can this body move? It's like looking at an instrument. And also, as if you take it to the next Level in Indian classical dance, how can you transcend this bodily experience into something spiritual? How can you use this instrument for something beyond? And that's why I feel weird sometimes interacting with non dancer people because the naked body or stretching. How did yoga and stretching become a sexual thing? That I also don't understand. Like, even a woman just sitting in her split at the gym or anywhere is seen like a sexual thing okay wow this woman is sitting in her split so she has a lot of potential in my sexual encounter like i don't understand that way of thinking i understand it but i just can't fathom how you can just see a naked physical body and just think about sex all the time i think it's like a the Amount of porn people just watch, it just rewires their brain to see naked bodies as just like, how can I consume that naked body for my sexual appetite? Versus, as dancers, we spend eight to 10 hours in the dance studio, especially in your conservatory times, and you're like, how do I use this naked body, which is an instrument for a beautiful artwork I create? That's how a dancer thinks, right? But an athlete also might think like that. I'm not sure. My brother was an ex professional tennis player, but he would also look at people and be like, oh, he's standing like this because these muscles are weak. And, you know, and I feel like a lot of normal people, because of hypersexualization and Instagram also having like these random booty pics and like all of that and the pornographic content. It's just like rewiring people's brains to just see naked bodies as sex objects versus, wow, this is the work of God or this body can create the work of God by creating beautiful art. Uh, Yeah, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went somewhere maybe I wasn't prepared to go. But, um, you know, I'm glad we have because it's such a, a fundamental part of your experience that, you know, inherently, and it's not even personal. I think you that's what you've just also pointed out. It's not even personal. It's kind of a societal thing that's occurred and that not only you're subjected to it, but dancers are subjected to it. You know, as a straight male, I have to check my primitive urges from time to time. You know, it's like, oh, wow, attractive person. And then, yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it's this constant, ba- it's this constant battle between like your primitive urges and your more advanced place of being because, yeah. You- <laughs> because you you're right like you see you see someone that you're attracted to and that's why i mean that's why we go on dating apps right Mm -hmm. and that and you know what i'll also say is the dating apps are the worst they've turned us into pigs like as in i would never walk down the street and start swiping people left and right like on the footpath i'm walking down and just push someone away you left you right you know i wouldn't physically do that (laughs) imagine that
1: That's funny.
0: Yeah, like the 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 internet has, and what I'll say is that big tech internet has created behaviors. So the Tinder dating app isn't just a dating app because it's a dating app. It's a dating app that's based on a user experience of being able to go left, right, the swiping, right, and then that creates that creates behaviors, and they drive behaviors, which is really interesting. So yeah there's there's internet culture and then there's primitive urges and then there's everything in between. I think you touched on like the sexualization of dancers and I'm thinking okay well this is not a modern this isn't a contemporary problem. Like this has been happening for a long time. And then I think of the 80s. I'm thinking back to the 80s and I'm thinking ah oh, that was like leotard splits like big hair getting all sexual in your face in a lot of those in those videos and it was sexualization was being used as empowerment i think and so today we're seeing the aftermath of a lot of those movements and we're starting to oh
1: no i mean sexualization was there ever since humanity yeah existed because
0: ever since Adam saw Eve
1: yeah because there is a part of humanity which always thinks of consuming there are some people who want to think of consuming and there's some people who want who think about creating value mm-hmm. right I think we are in a society where we just practice consuming them, creating stuff and also this is a thing right Yes, I walk on the street and I'm like, oh, that's an attractive person. And this is not. But let me tell you something. I've just been in one relationship and before that, whatever experience. But I've been in one relationship and I've learned my lesson that I've been in a relationship with a good looking person, but it has not made me happy. So why would I throw myself at a good looking person by just objectifying them and seeing their value just for their looks. That is how I think now. And I feel like all these looks and materialistic stuff and with my Buddhist practice are anyway an illusion. So like, why would I just throw myself at just a good looking person? I need to know more. So that is why my urge doesn't go further than just appreciating, okay, good looks. So what's more? Yeah what if you are a pig, you know? So you don't know a pig in a man's suit. So exactly for me, yes, it's not that I don't have that primitive urge of, I do have that when I walk yes I do see attractive people and I'm like wow okay but then I also know that it's that duality we and that balance we need to have right when we see that good-looking person also knowing that that person is not gonna make me happy until I know them fully and knowing is not just three dates and just one intimate encounter it's more than that you know living in the apartment and seeing their habits and all weird collections and whatever you know that dark closet so
0: yeah I think and one of the things that I started to appreciate about you when I was you know listening to your talk and reading the article that you sent me was how much fundamental ways of actually just being in general emerged into your art form and emerged into who you are in your professional career so you talk for example about you really valuing tradition and the traditional values that come with you know your your language and your history and the, the art form requiring you to have a lot of discipline and you currently as a teacher wanting and trying to instill that discipline in into your students as as part of the art form which I love but also then realizing that no you don't just necessarily see these things from within the bubble of Kuchipudi dance you also see them in life in general and I like that you talk about that because to me it's what you're talking about now with that balance piece in the world of dating, for example, then you're right. There's, there's actually a lot of life experience and appreciation for other things that come into the mindset of respect. You know, when you, you're right, cause you can look at a dancer and go the lines, the the form, the shape, but you can only look at it like that if you have that experience. And so I think the more we get ourselves out there, the more we put ourselves in difficult positions, the more we try new things and make ourselves vulnerable and learn how to appreciate different facets of life, whether it's an art form or a sport, you know, like you touched on your brother being a tennis player. So, you know, naturally he's going to look at the way someone backhands a tennis ball, even though, you know, they might be in an interesting position to someone else. So yeah I think you talk a lot about ways of being that I really appreciate and that I really enjoy and there's <laughs> there's the yeah there's that unfortunate side that you have the contrasting experiences to draw on right you've got that beautiful experience of being a dancer and fully immersing yourself in that art form and seeing it for what it is and being surrounded by other people who do as well and then you've got the other side of it you can see the dark and the light in that and That's special.
1: Yeah. I think for me, tradition is like being in a devoted, loving relationship with someone. And trends are like flings. Mm -hmm. And one is not better than the other. But I know in my heart what is healthy and what is actually more noble. Obviously, tradition. not trends, not that I look down upon them, but I can see why they are craved and needed by the society. But I don't need them. I don't need friends. Um, I need flings also, to be very honest. Um, <laughs> you know, what I need is a tradition with innovation. So you can be in a traditional manner Marriage, but if you're not innovative in the way you court your partner and you stay creative with how you maintain the marriage, you're going to divorce that person for sure in five years or even sooner. But it's a choice you must make with tradition proactively, like a partner you married, to be like, what can I contribute to this tradition to make it more exciting for my journey? That is very important. I think people don't want to put in that work and they just throw tradition on the side, and most people just go towards trends. But I promise you, tradition, when married with innovation, is the most exciting journey. And you need to be truly selfless and you shouldn't have an ego because. Obviously, again, like a relationship, you want to see your partner like they were on day one. But the reality is their dreams, their vision for life, their goals will change. And if you can't embrace that, if you want your partner to just be an innocent puppy, this lost eyed and like, This puppy-looking partner you met in high school, it's not going to happen. That's very selfish because you want to manipulate your partner. But instead, you think this tradition just does not belong to me. But this tradition also belongs to the forthcoming generations in the future and also various other communities who are investing in making this tradition survive. So how can I just lock up this tradition with my fundamentalism, right? So it is important for you to be creative and also be selfless to make this tradition survive and evolve and stay relevant to all the forthcoming generations. And I keep, you know, using the relationship aspect as mm-hmm. a way because <laughs> because I just went through a breakup and I'm learning a lot of lessons from that proactively. And also Indian classical dance revolves a lot around love themes. So we use romance and sensuality as a metaphor for a divine union or spiritual meanings, if that makes sense. Like... A lot of the devotees you see in Indian dance compositions, the devotee kind of is having a... If you just read it, it, it sounds like, okay, the devotee is having sex with God. But that's not what it means because sex is seen as a metaphor for this divine union Uh, people just see like this bodily action but this union is more than that it's that concept of there is no me and there is no you there is us and i feel expansive in through this act so that act is an homage to this divine or this holistic wholesome union And that is why the way sex is portrayed in mainstream media upsets me because since I was a teenager, I read poetry about these romantic and sexual unions, which were not like this. It's not about your kink. It's not about my fetish. It is not about my preferences. It is not about which position you like. It is much more than that. And reading poems like that, these tantric poems, right? And then people, uh, random people talk to me about, do you know about tantric sex? I'm like, that's not tantric sex. And it's it's so uh, frustrating. So it's like now the way sex is sold is my body consume me. And give me the money. That's it. It's so... ah, uh, Just how it, sex is just reduced to this one facet, body. And for me, that is why, though I was exposed to the concept of sex through Indian classical dance at a very young age, I was never like, Ew, what is that? Oh my God, there's like a kissing scene and like a foreplay scene. I feel awkward. I never felt that. Because sex this foreplay was seen like um ritual a spiritual ritual to become one with the god and i can't explain it's very sacred i can only do justice to this topic through my dancing whatever i say might sound very what is she saying this is so weird you're having sex with god Uh, you know, it's about putting your ego aside and like just becoming one with your partner and the universe. It's just a reminder that we are not this independent, inherent human beings, right? We are all part of one cosmic force and sex is another beautiful artistic act of reminding us that we are much more than our bodies, but I'm using my body as an instrument to express this higher form of love.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I really love what you're talking about. I think part of the rhetoric that you're talking about is really a, generally a part of being in your early 20s, right? in your mid-20s. You know, the, the sexualization stuff, people asking you about tantric sex. You know, it's, that's so normal. In your age bracket, because I think for a lot of people, and I think you touched on it as well, your exposure to think, yeah, we, we've gone there. You took us there, by the way, in case you <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, when I'm present, there's always bathroom and sex.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but let me tell you something. The people who spoke about tantric sex were not 25-year-olds.
0: They were 35-year-olds. Oh, shit. I was making excuses.
1: Yeah. Yes,
0: you did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. Just scrub the last bit that I just said. But also, I think, yeah, we've uncovered the emergence of Yamini relationship coach. That's what's going on here. Like I said, I think through your art form, you... <laughs> no. Yeah. You. Well, Whether you like it or not, I think you've talked about a lot of very wholesome... Values that are related to the way that people should want to interact with one another in a healthy way under different circumstances, whether it's a physical relationship or whether it's a friendship. It sounds to me like a lot of these discoveries that you're making and a lot of these notions that you're exploring currently because of your experience, they're for a reason, they're for a great reason. And they transcend the world that you spend your time in, which is the dance world. They transcend that. Like you you're aware of that now. And that you're going into territory that covers ways of being that are fundamental to us as humans. And you, like I said before, you're coming to these places of these thought bubbles through the understanding of seeing both the light and the dark side of it. And I think you have so much to offer. There's so much good in your message there's so much to take away from, so much to consider. And I'll also add that so much of it is being craved by people. They're searching for that depth because through this period of, you know, hypersexualization and the emergence of the internet and then porn at the tip of your fingers, we're now like some of us as in people are sick of it. We're sick of this. We've got to a, a place where you've peaked. You can't, there's nothing more that you can get from that. and What you thought you were gonna be getting was some kind of enriched experience and depth, but it, that road that you took to get you there didn't take you there. So now I feel like society, we're kind of wanting to backtrack a little bit. We've gone so far down that road that we forgot where the fork was, that other road that we should have taken. So I hear people talking about religion these days and going to church. And that might have some connotations for some people, but then I look at it and go, oh, geez, I, I didn't like church when I was younger for certain reasons, but I appreciate things about it now, about the discipline, about the history, about the community. And I appreciate those things because I think that those are the things that I'm currently missing, for example, um, that are wholesome. So yeah, we, we went into some interesting territory. My listeners certainly aren't, aren't used to hearing us talk about sexual topics, um, but I'm glad that you brought it up because it's such a, yeah, it's it's a fundamental part of who you are right now and the things that you have to deal with as part of being a dancer. And that shouldn't be brushed aside. We should talk about it. We should have these conversations, yeah.
1: See, for me, I think my art, particularly, I only choose to perform my own choreographies now. I don't perform anyone else's anymore. And my art is a direct reflection of my life. So whatever incident that happens in my life or an event which happens in my life, I really contemplate deeply about it. And that is my content, right? How can I make a choreography out of this as a self-therapy? My art is my therapy. So creating this work is very important for me to transcend that pain into beauty, like how diamonds come out of dirt. A lot of my beautiful work, which is now appreciated by hundreds or thousands of people, is coming from a lot of my pain and my trauma. And the reason I think a lot of sex has been coming as a topic in this podcast, because I've been thinking about it. And as a young woman, I am approached constantly so, uh, by many men. And I have to think, like, where is this urge or desire coming from for this man? And when I am interacting, I'm not just judging the man, obviously. I'm not playing holier than thou. But where is my desire to interact with this man or to encourage him to hit on me a little bit coming from. So I am also seeing how what I am doing in this situation and how my ego is coming to play. Though I've decided to be sober, celibate, vegan, what else, everything, (laughs) I'm practically... (laughs) I'm, I've am i been vegan for a good chunk of time now, I think two years or more, because I was born into a vegetarian family and I've been vegan now. Also, I have IBS, so I'm on a particular diet, so I avoid caffeine. So yeah... And I am in, on this very particular lives. I'm practicing this very particular, almost none kind of lifestyle. <laughs> so,
0: Do not put that in your Tinder profile.
1: No, I'm not going on the apps. It is pretty foolish. And it is pretty stupid if I do that again after all this experience like what what am i even doing when i'm talking about objectification and porn and all of that and then i go back on tinder what am i doing to myself well you're exploring
0: i think it's i think there's an element of your life that involves exploration right that you naturally you want to try things because you need to yeah you need to explore them that's the thing about trends that you, you talked about earlier. Trends are important for us to, to learn how to find new frontiers, right? They're not there for depth. Some trends stick for lifetimes, and I believe that that's where our traditions come from. For example, Kuchipuri dance was new at some point in its existence, and then in that newness stage, everyone was doing it hypothetically, right? And you could have at some point called it a trend but it's the continuance of that trend because the society sees the value in it that allows it to become a tradition over time Um, yeah and i think that that's an inherent part of who you are is to learn how to sit in the spaces of being a discoverer and a pusher of frontiers and someone who deeply pays homage to tradition would i be yeah
1: i think a trend becomes a tradition when all the shallow and the vain aspects wither away oh
0: yeah i love that Yeah. yeah yeah i do
1: yeah I think I can become a quote maker mm. <laughs> if that's a job quote maker <laughs> I, th- I
0: think um, I honestly think um that this I'm gonna have a hard time picking just a few quotes from this from this don't episode. pick
1: too many sex quotes you because haven't... I'm Indian in the end i mean in- I'm Indian in the end and it's co- quite controversial for me to talk about this it's quite it's a taboo mm. I mean, my family doesn't mind. My uh, family is super open-minded, but there's a lot of misogyny in the culture as well. So, I mean, which part of the world doesn't have misogyny, first of all? But India does have a huge chunk of misogyny. And I mean, at this point, you know, I've been shamed in every possible way, so... Okay,
0: use whatever. And and by the way, none of my questions that I had predetermined here, not that I really have any, were about sex. Just for anyone that just has come into the podcast at this point, I'm not the one that took us there. But I've enjoyed your candor (laughs) and I've enjoyed how I feel like you opened up and sort of allowed that monkey side of you to come out here with me. As you said, there's definitely a comfort level that you get to when you feel like you can do that. And I'm very grateful for your um, for your openness and your candor. And mm, I dare say that you're, you have become comfortable through your lifetime of being uncomfortable, from being not necessarily the good student, but the one that pushes the boundaries. You know, I think you even touched on the fact that you're on the debate team once upon a time. So, you know, it speaks volumes to who you are.
1: I mean, I was called Demon Child. (laughs) (laughs) Like not Demon Child, but like Monster Child. Like my grandma used to call me Monster Kid, Monster Girl. We say Rakshasi in Indian languages. And even my dance teachers, my teachers, I've always... Said controversial things and rebellious things, and um, I've always spoken my truth, and I always will. See, life is too short, and for me, sometimes life is like a game, right? You pick your battles and you need to go with it. You can't please everybody, and I know that. The only thing I care about is I stay loyal to the few people I really love, and there might be thousands of people who are who might be looking up to me and who love me or like me. It's all the sensationalism anyway. But for me, it's about trying my best to not hurt the few I love and to stay loyal to them. In all of this pander and stuff, you know, I can make a lot of jokes about all of that. But for me, it's important that I stay respectful for my people who I love dearly, the few and that's very important for me. And, yeah. <laughs>
0: no, it's 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 great. And, again, not everyone thinks like that. You know, I think the Internet is a place where we literally have become willing to throw ourselves under a bus for a little bit of 15 minutes of fame. And uh, there's been some trends lately that I've just – I generally stay away from that world. I'm kind of like the last to know about these things. But there's been some stuff i've seen on the internet lately where i've just face palmed and i've gone are we really going here because i thought that we'd hit that bottom and just when i thought we had there's a new low and i thought oh gosh no 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 we're, we're not ready yet so it's fascinating to hear someone that's still thinks about the people that they love and the people that love them and how to best represent yourself in your community in order to honor those people. It's a very rare thing.
1: Because for me, love is a very difficult subject. In my own family, I had to work for love. I mean, I had to be the best in class, good at my academics, uh, good at my dancing to actually feel loved. But in the end, I didn't really feel loved that much. And Later in my life, after I moved to the United States, I found love within my friends and my friends are like my family. And true love is hard to find. So when I had such difficulty finding love and being loved and all of that, especially as a child, I truly value it. I don't take it for granted. It really is. Also, I was always used as an object for branding and stuff like people would put me on stage and just like book me for shows like I was not seen as a full-blown human being Mm -hmm. so because of all that I'm very tired of being in that kind of life I just want to feel like a human being love people and be surrounded by real love and The more I treat other human beings as human beings and not as objects, the more people are going to treat me that way as well. And yeah, it's true love is really hard to find. And when you find it, you must cherish it, preserve it, value it, respect it, and give your attention its work. It's an adventure. Adventure is not taking a trip with them to do bungee jumping. Adventure is... When that friend tells you, I did not like what you said that day or you are doing something which hurts me and the community, you listen and you find a way to fix that. That's the bungee jump. It's not the bungee jump you go with your friends for the adrenaline or the dopamine, right? This is it. And that's why if there is any addiction, I'm addicted to risks and discomfort. And yeah, because I was always put in very uncertain situations and I cannot really I mean maybe this is toxic but I can't imagine a life which is just stable and bland because whenever also I I notice I get a huge chunk of money through a commission or a project I want to give scholarships immediately to my students. Because I value community more than money. And after again seeing people die alone and stuff, I'd rather die without money than people who are not by my deathbed, you know? That would be the tragedy. It's not the moneyless part. Um, but I don't want to also be this over dramatic, romanticizing, like it's okay to have zero money. That's not what I'm saying. I do work hard to be financially stable and be wise, but also, if I had to choose, I would choose to have people who I love by my side, than money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you touched on with Carissa, the vision board side of things, I think that, um, you know, our feelings and our, our learnings and our discoveries, especially when it comes to our deep values, I think those aren't the things that we have been taught to vision board enough that makes sense and I think those hold the keys to you know potentially the life that you want it's interesting because when you think of a vision board I think of oh that house that I want that car that I want that holiday that I want that person that I want but then why can't you vision board your values I think that's one of the things about where I can see you are in your life at the moment is that you've decided what your values are they're very strong their good wholesome values, and that's what you want to work towards. Community person, but you don't necessarily. And yet, and yet, there you were going. If I had to choose between the two, um, like, you, like you know, it has to be a choice potentially at some point. And I don't think you do. I think that you can have everything that you want. I think if there's anyone that can have everything they want, it's you because you've proven that so far you've overcome so many obstacles to get to where you are now whether it w- they were you know emotional mental physical financial that you are the result of the vision board you just sometimes we can't look at ourselves and go damn i've come so far and it's all because i stayed true and focused so you're definitely on the right track and and that's why it's been such a pleasure to engage with you, to learn about you, to uh, listen to you talk about mm, all of the auxiliary parts of life as well, not just, you know, your professional career, but, you know, some of the quirky personal things as well, like, you know, having a Tinder profile and things like that. You know, you're a real human that does things, that tries things, that goes through being ghosted And um, I think what happens when we develop such prominent profiles on social media is that people can forget that we are just like them. And um, you do that very well when you talk. I'm
1: not prominent. (laughs) I'm not prominent yet, I must say. But I think who hasn't been ghosted, though? I think everybody gets ghosted.
0: Mm, I thought it was just me. But no, I don't use those apps anymore. I'm like you. I... Actually, it was for a completely different reason, and I touched on it a bit earlier before. It was that I found myself becoming a jerk, the kind of jerk that I didn't wanna be or that I wouldn't be if I was on the street. I would never swipe left and right on people out in public. If anyone came and talked to me or approached me, I would talk to anyone that had something interesting to say, you know? So it became a really bizarre thing to see myself excluding so many people When I was like, what the hell, man? Like, this is not how you want to live. This isn't a way of being to be this exclusive and this particular and this shallow. But the app is forcing me to be like that. It's not giving me another option. So, um Yeah, I mean, I'd love to continue to explore throughout the rest of my life, these notions of how technology drives behaviors versus the conscious choices that we can make to behave certain ways. And I think, again, that's another thing, another reason why I've really loved talking to you and listening to you is because your story and your current life right now is so full of choice. It's so full of conscious choice to be a certain way because... A, you love it, and B, you know how much value it adds to your life. And then C, because you know you don't want to be the other way. (laughs) So, yeah, you're an interesting human being in so many ways, and I've loved this conversation.
1: Yeah, I have a question for you. Oh,
0: sure. Fire away.
1: What are you envisioning to see in terms of relationship and connection with all the people you have on your podcast?
0: I I love my guests because I, all of them, I have this real love that I develop for all of them because of how open they are when we have these conversations. It's like, even if I've known someone for years, once I have them on my podcast, I just feel like, oh. You've revealed so much more of yourself than I ever could have imagined or dreamed. And my relationship with my guests fluctuates. You know, sometimes we 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 become really good friends. And sometimes, you know, it's just a podcast episode. But from a personal standpoint, every time I come out of a conversation like this, I feel like I've leveled up in some way. Like asking you about your experience and listening to you open up about it has helped me to learn myself better. And I pay so much respect to that process. And I'm so grateful for having the opportunity. And beyond that, it's really outside of me. And I know that, you, that your question was more directed personally towards me, but then realizing that outside of me, that there's all these random strangers globally that are listening to these episodes and that it's touching and affecting them in some way. And when I realized that this is way bigger than me, it really helped me to go, oh, it takes a lot of the pressure off it being about me or for me or having some kind of agenda to drive because... We can just have nice, candid conversations and someone's going to get some value out of it. Maybe it's the same value that I got. Maybe it's other value altogether. But on a macro level, I think that conversations are making a wonderful comeback. And to your point about how society's kind of gone down this weird, vain, materialistic kind of... um, Kind of path, I think. Once we have these realizations that, like, oh, I don't like what we're se- what I'm seeing out there, I start to think, um, think. Well, what what do I love? Just like you, what is it that I love most? What do I love doing most? And it's just having chats like this. And sometimes with my guests, that has meant a really deep, beautiful relationship that's developed. Like, for example, episode twenty six, I'm going to say or twenty seven, is with a, a guy who's riding a tandem bike from Alaska to Argentina, and the way we... Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, and Cam Williams, and he was introduced to me by my guest, Lucy Barnard, who was episode 22, who's walking the opposite direction. She's walking from south to north, and I can just wake up to the most wonderful message sometime about them having listened to an episode and how it touched them, or... How great they think the work that I'm doing is, or something like that. And I can send them a message anytime. And these connections are really fundamental to my growth as a person because having gone through my own struggles and my own demons, maybe you were demon child and I was demon adult. I really have wanted to explore (laughs) lives outside of my own experience to be humbled more than anything and it's a humbling experience and so whatever happens beyond the record button i allow to develop organically but i can confidently say that the friendships that have come out of this podcast so far and so early on in the podcasting experience are some of the most amazing friendships and beautiful experiences that I'm having with these cool people. And I'm very grateful for that. And thank you for asking me that question, self-reflection that I didn't expect to be doing.
1: Well, that's why I'm here.
0: (laughs) You are very good at that. But I think, I mean, as far as an episode of the podcast goes, for now, we've explored a lot of topics, we've covered a lot of ground. My app has crashed on me three times. Which is unusual. Number. So, three
1: is a number. Three is a sacred number in Indian culture. Uh
0: So, is that going to be the last time it crashes? I hope. Hope so. Um,
1: If it crashes another time, it has to crash seven times.
0: Oh no! That could be. We're talking all day, which I know that you don't have time for. But I, yeah, I think we're at a point now where I just wanted to know what, what is it that you're looking forward to and what's coming up. I know that you're doing a fundraiser at the moment on your Instagram. By the time I release this episode, that fundraiser will be over because I noticed that there's five days left and it's going to take me about seven days to get this out.
1: Oh this that fundraiser is for my collaborator Vijay. I'm gonna do my own fundraiser starting September first. Uh-huh.
0: And what's that for?
1: That's for my new dance company. We are premiering in November.
0: Right. Okay. So that's soon. Wait. And the time of this recording is August, late August twenty twenty three. For anyone listening in the future, welcome to the past. So you're talking about November 2023.
1: Yeah, November, 20, November 10th, 2023, Worcester Mechanics Hall, Massachusetts.
0: And the dance company is you and others?
1: Yeah, seven other modern dancers who I became friends with during my training at Martha Graham School, some dancers who worked as teachers at my dance school, some friends during my apartment hunting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no Tinder dates, um, just all some friends.
0: Yeah, nice. And so I guess uh, you mentioned that was at, I didn't catch the name of the dance hall, but it's in Massachusetts.
1: Yeah, Worcester Mechanics Hall. Um, it's Yo-Yo Ma and all these wonderful musicians record their music only in that hall because it has the best acoustics in North mm-hmm. America.
0: Awesome. And so people will be able to buy tickets for that?
1: Yes, Are you gonna fly and come to our show?
0: (laughs) Is that what you want? You want me to be there in person?
1: (laughs) I mean, if you if you really like my dance, you should.
0: (laughs) It's an option. I think November's it's coming fast. It's an option that I'm willing to explore. I think I just got a message from uh, actually a previous podcast guest, come to Colombia just yesterday. So I was like, okay, maybe I can concentrate my little visits. And I know that I've got to visit Three Jewels Meditation Studio in New York City as well.
1: Oh, actually, a Tinder date of mine works there as an instructor. (laughs) Oh my god, I didn't think I would mention that.
0: We went there, <laughs> the we, did. we did okay. well, but
1: yeah, I think, um, yeah, he 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 works there, okay, kinder date of mine as a teacher. Is it Diego? <laughs> Let's, yes. <laughs> let's, let's
0: just say I follow Three Jewels on Instagram and Hector's always doing little shorts with Diego and Diego's yes. a, a handsome man. So I just thought...
1: Anyway, that was long ago. He was just a match. I never got to meet him, but we messaged on Instagram.
0: Shout out to the Three Jewels Studio and all of the wonderful <laughs> people that work there.
1: And the matchmaking they're doing. Yeah,
0: doing. yeah um but you know what this has been one of the most enjoyable chats that i've had for sure it's been really great to get to know you thank you so much for being so open and welcome to coming on my humble podcast and for giving so much of yourself and your monkey side as well i think uh, i'm so appreciative for having that come out today it's been great was there anything else that we needed to let the audience know before we go our separate ways today
1: (laughs) Just um, yes, the fundraiser which I'll be starting on September 1st for my dance company and we'll be dancing again a blend of modern dance and kuchpuri to Western classical music which is composed by Rina Esmail and she's an Indian American composer who also fuses Indian classical music and Western classical music and he is like a um, sister to me in music
0: so yeah yeah beautiful
1: please support us
0: absolutely and i'll be sharing links to your website and your link tree as well so that people can get to know you a little bit more and have access to that fundraiser or learn where to buy tickets for your upcoming show in november uh, that's all super exciting you're always moving and shaking is what i've learned and i'm very grateful that this whole podcasting thing is coming true to you thinking back to the young girl that was just sitting on the potty one day practicing being on podcasts you've come a long way you're here now you're very good at it and i just want to say thank you and goodbye thank you (laughs) oh so good so good we'd love to know what you thought of that episode of the louis diaz podcast you can find us on instagram facebook youtube and even tiktok to let us know and be sure to follow subscribe and leave us a review on spotify where you can catch some of our other really great episodes thanks for listening and catch you next time